Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Royal Ramble on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, of course, depending on where in the world you are at this time. Uh, but as we inch closer and closer to daylight savings time, the weather is getting colder, at least here in Canada, and the sunlight is slowly disappearing, which usually indicates that we are just two weeks away from Halloween night. But we are less than a week away from the newest WWE Premium Live event as the NXT crew presents Halloween Havoc on Saturday, October 22nd. It's interesting that the event will be a Network and Peacock exclusive this year, as for the last several, it has just been used as a TV special. So last week was a huge review episode, but this week it'll be a preview. Before I get to talking about the Halloween Havoc card, though, I wanted to take you back in time and talk about some of the previous Halloween Havoc events, that being the original ones that WCW put on. While I wasn't so much a fan of what they did in the later years, some of the earlier events were very fun, and I very much appreciated the attention to detail. I think this is something that AEW, or perhaps even modern-day WWE, could learn from, where each pay-per-view had a set designed to fit the theme of the event. I remember Bash at the Beach one year took place on an actual beach. I think it was Huntington Beach in California, which looked really cool. But they were able to do a lot more with Halloween Havocs with that huge inflatable giant pumpkin, the eerie lighting, the smoke, the gravesite, etc. They really needed to set the mood and make the event feel special. My first memory of Halloween Havoc was the classic Texas death match between Cactus Jack and Vader, which turned into a real bloodbath. Newer fans might not even know what this match is, but it's basically last man standing, only when you pin someone or make them submit, they have up until the 10 count to get back to their feet or the match is over. I loved it. There was also a great match on that card between Rick Rude and Ric Flair, which had a not-so-great finish. Basically, Rude, who was the heel, attempted to bring a pair of brass knuckles into the ring, which Flair, the babyface, had intercepted and used on Rude, but the ref caught him red-handed, and the match was called a disqualification in Rude's favor. It was for the international world title, which became the title that WCW used until its dying day in 2001. That famous big gold belt, which looked spectacular. Some of the events before that were just as memorable. I'm sure everyone who follows this or other podcasts might have seen the now infamous Chamber of Horrors match that took place at the 91 Halloween Havoc. The interesting thing here is that it was the opening match that year and not the main event, but I felt like it got the event off on the wrong foot, even though Brian Pillman and Ricky Morton tried to save it with their classic encounter. Basically, you had eight guys divided into two teams of four. It was Sting, Eligante, later known as Giant Gonzalez, and the Steiner brothers, taking on the team of Vader, Cactus Jack, Abdullah the Butcher, and the Diamond Stud, later known as Razor Ramon or Scott Hall. It was a cage match where the cage extended all the way down to the arena floor, and there was a bit of a walkway between the cage and the ring. I don't know what WCW made their cages out of at the time, but that one did not look stable at all. It looked like any strong wind could knock it over. And I was very surprised that it was able to contain not only eight huge athletes and the referee, but there were also these mystery masked men who came out of caskets that were placed at ringside and attacked some of the combatants. It was really bizarre. So basically an internal cage containing an electric chair, you heard me right, would be lowered from the ceiling into the ring. 
The object of the match is to strap one of your opponents into the chair while one of your teammates climbs the cage up to this controlling switch that was positioned on one of the walls of the cage and had to flip the switch. Rick Steiner was originally placed in the chair but wasn't fully secured, so he ended up executing a belly-to-belly to reposition Abdullah the Butcher into the chair instead and strapped him in. And then Cactus Jack, Abdullah's partner, unknowingly flipped the switch, thinking it was Steiner in the chair, and ended up electrocuting, in quotations, Abdullah, who did a fine job of selling it, and there were all kinds of smoke and mirrors, such as sparks coming out of the cage and smoke coming out of the chair. But just to put everyone's mind at ease, he wasn't really electrocuted. He just jumped up immediately and started attacking the referee and some of his own teammates. It was a bit insulting to our intelligence as fans, to be honest. There was still an earlier event which featured a Thunder Cage match pitting Ric Flair and Sting against the team of Terry Funk and the Great Muda, with Bruno Sammartino as the guest referee. I felt like Sting made the most of it, though, and was swinging from some of the vines that were attached to the cage like he was Tarzan. Well, I say vines, which is what they were supposed to resemble, but they were really just ropes. I also remember the event that had the red canvas, which was pretty unique and made for a cool visual. I think that was at the 1990 Halloween Havoc, and it featured a pretty good tag match between the Steiner Brothers and the Nasty Boys. And I remember that match specifically because it was probably the best match the Nasty Boys ever had. There was also a really good match of the 92 Halloween Havoc between Ricky Steamboat and Brian Pillman, probably the best match in Halloween Havoc history. It wasn't until a couple years later when Hogan came in with all his friends that the event started to go downhill. There was a steel cage retirement match between Hogan and Flair, where Flair was retired for a good four or five months. And then I'm sure everyone remembers the infamous monster truck event that led to the Giant basically being murdered by being thrown off the top of Cobo Hall in Detroit, only to show up an hour later for his match without a scratch on him. That title match between the Giant and Hogan also ended in a DQ finish where the title still changed hands, despite the golden rule that the title can only change hands via pinfall or submission. And that also led to the awkward visual of the Giant and the Yeti, played by Ron Reese, basically sandwiching Hogan from each side with bear hugs, but for those who saw it, it kind of looked like something else. It was also the only time that I remember that Hogan wrestled a match without his famous mustache and the first time he had worn an all-black outfit as opposed to a traditional red and yellow. But I suppose it went with the theme of the event. And then years later was the cage match between Hogan and Piper, or as I like to call it, the worst cage match of all time. Despite Piper clearly winning the match by making Hogan pass out to the sleeper hold, the title for some reason did not change hands. And then, of course, the 98 Halloween Havoc event, which I actually didn't think was a bad one, but it looked bad on the company because it went overtime, and Viewer's Choice ended up cutting their feed before the main event between Goldberg and DDP actually got underway. The sad thing is that it was actually not a bad match, and probably Goldberg's best WCW match ever, but ended up being shown for free the next night on Nitro due to those circumstances. It was truly bizarre. The final two Halloween Havoc events were entirely forgettable, except for the fact that Hogan once again walked out on the company midway through the show, supposedly due to creative differences. So now that you know a bit about the history of the event, let's talk about this year. You know, the WWE has put forth a fine effort to introduce these older concepts to a new audience. I still remember the one year that Shotzi played an Elvira-type role hosting the event. 
This year's card looks bigger than most NXT Premium Live events, but I hope they don't cut the feed this year, because it could be a good one. Mandy Rose has missed the last two NXT episodes due to the passing of her brother, but is scheduled to defend her title at this event against Alba Fire. Mandy has improved significantly since developing this new heel character. Both her promos and in-ring work has gotten much better in the last year, and I think it definitely helps to be in the ring with some of the division's finest. I wouldn't be shocked to see a title change here, depending on whether Mandy needs more time to mourn. I think if she does lose it, it should be at a bigger event, and given that there are currently no other NXT live events this year, it could very well be this one, unless the company has enough confidence in Mandy to hold the belt until Mania weekend, which I can also see happening. Honestly, I do think it's time for a call-up, and with Gigi and JC already losing their tag belts, I can either see them turning on Mandy following a loss here, and perhaps aligning themselves with Sonya, or they come up as a group to the main roster. Either way, I think it would make total sense, and Alba could have a good run with the belt as well, just as she did in the UK. Just added as of this past week is the Spin the Wheel Make the Deal match between Apollo Crews and Grayson Waller. This feud does nothing for me personally. I've never been a fan of Apollo. Grayson is someone that I had high hopes for a year ago, and I still think he has potential, but his overall booking has been very puzzling lately. If I were to take an extended bathroom break for this show, this match would likely be it. I don't care who wins, and I don't care about the stipulation, although given the storyline, I do think an eye-for-an-eye eye match would be appropriate here. Actually, scratch that. When is that match ever appropriate? Given that there are no cage matches on the card, I can see this match being in the cage. Even though I don't think there is any upside to Apollo winning, it seems that Grayson may be called up as part of the Wyatt angle, so I can see Apollo going over here and getting his win back and get his revenge. Another stip match on the card will be the ambulance match between Damon Kemp and Julius Creed. This is kind of a weird one where if Julius loses, his brother Brutus is banned from NXT. I can't see them splitting the Creed brothers up this early, so I think if Julius loses, they're probably both leaving NXT. But I think there's still a lot for them to do on the brand, so I think maybe when Kemp thinks he has victory well in hand, he opens the ambulance door to put Julius in, only to be met by the returning Roderick Strong who beats him down and helps Julius put Kemp in the ambulance to win the match. I thought about a swerve where Roddy instead turns on Julius as they've been teasing, but I can't see where that angle would go if Brutus is gone from the brand. I think Kemp is the one to leave and is called up to the main roster, probably as part of the Alpha Academy. The feud between Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade has been heating up, and it is an interesting one. But since the turn, I think the feud has kind of been at a standstill, and I don't get this whole pick-your-poison concept. Unless they were to interfere in the other's match and cost them a victory, which could add some heat to their encounter. Given the stipulation, I can see Roxanne finally developing a wild side and getting her win back, and then the two have a rubber match potentially over Mania weekend, though I've heard rumblings of Roxanne being called up soon as well, so I can see Cora winning this match too. I'm going to say Roxanne for now, but I could go either way here. There is also a ladder match for the vacant NXT North American title. It'll feature former champion Carmelo Hayes, Oro Mensa, the former Oliver Carter in the UK, Wesley, Von Wagner, and Nathan Fraser. As they used to say on Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others. Why is Wagner in this match? This guy is on my shortlist for worst male wrestler of the year.
Looking at the field, I can see either Fraser or Mensa winning, as neither are part of a program currently, while Lee is still tied up with D'Angelo when he comes back, and Mello could be called up any day now. But for now, I'm going to predict that Mello gets his belt back, stealing it right from under Lee's nose, and then those two branch off into a feud until D'Angelo is cleared to come back. It really begs the question why they put the title on Solo in the first place. A really bizarre situation, but I think Mello is the most complete athlete in this match and should remain champion until there is someone ready to take it from him. And then there's the big one. It's the triple threat for the NXT Championship featuring Ilya Dragunov, who never lost the UK title, JD McDonough, and the champion Braun Breaker. This one could be really good, and I think Braun has upped his game in the ring lately. He did make a cameo appearance at Extreme Rules last week, so I think a call-up is in his near future, and I can definitely see a new champion here. In fact, I think Braun may be taking the pin in this match, and I can see something where McDonough steals the win right from under the nose of Dragunov, and then those two spin off into their own feud for the world title, while Braun is immediately called up to the main roster, but probably is Rex Steiner as you don't need two Brauns on the main roster. Now, usually at this point in the show, I'd be running through my fantasy forecast for the next big event, but looking at the current WWE schedule, it doesn't show that NXT has another premium live event for the remainder of the year, and there is no clear indication of what the next one will be, so I guess we'll have to wait. But you won't have to wait long for the next episode of the Royal Ramble. I will be back next week to review the Halloween Havoc event. Until then, I leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.